All right, well, as you figured it out, we are doing a message today on giving. And I do recognize that when you say the word giving in church, it can create a lot of really uncomfortable feelings. A lot of you are probably thinking, why did I even come to church today? Because I really don't want to hear a message on giving. I don't want to hear about tithes and offerings. Because sometimes it make you feel a little guilty. You feel like I'm not measuring up. I'm not doing a good enough job in giving. And so it kind of creates a little feeling of uneasiness. I just want to tell you all right now, this is going to be a great message. I'm excited for this message because I think what I want to show you in this message is why giving is good for you. And how giving is not about us, what we can give to God, but it's what God can give back to us. Now, I also want to qualify before I begin this message that I'm not taking up some special offering. A lot of times when the pastor gives up and talks about giving, it's because the church has a big need. And so I'm going to try to raise money or we have some kind of deficit. Our finances are doing great. We have a very generous church. I'm grateful for all of you that so, so abundantly and so generously to Lake Effect Church. So we don't have a financial need. And I'm not proposing some building fund or we got a money for that. I don't have any big financial need. I'm just doing a message on giving because it's something that the Lord instructs us to do in the Bible and he's pretty serious about giving. And giving is one of those areas in our life that we can always easily kind of push down the road and just kind of forget about it and say, well, it's not that important and maybe somebody else will give and kind of, kind of lose our place in giving. So I want to talk today about why do we give? Why did God create this whole culture of giving all throughout the Bible? So before I kind of really get into the heart of my message, I want to read 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. This is kind of the heart of giving in the Bible. In, in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says, For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all that you need. This is the heart of giving in the Bible that God loves a generous giver and he wants to provide for every single one of our needs. So does that mean God doesn't love a person who doesn't give generously? Not at all. But it shows God's heart that he loves when people are generous because God always wants to provide our needs. He always wants to show to us that he wants to take care of everything we get to do. See, the heart of giving is that it's not a burden, but it's a blessing that God gives us the opportunity we give because it has such great rewards. I want to talk about a little bit about the Israelites. I know a few, uh, I think a month or so ago, we did a message on the Israelites getting out of captivity. And if you're an Israelite in the days of Moses, you would have some pretty incredible stories to tell to your family and to tell the next generation about what God did for you. One day you're in Egypt, you're in captivity. And the next day God is sparing your life. He's getting you out of Egypt in the middle of the night. One day you have a harsh reality, you live under a dictator pharaoh and your life is miserable. There's not one good thing about your life and then the very next day, God is setting you free in the middle of the night. Not only does he get you out of Egypt, but he, you're on your way out of Egypt, the Egyptians decide to come after you and they're chasing after you. And as you escape from, uh, from the pharaoh, you find yourself right in front of the Red Sea. You can't go to the right, you can't go to the left, and you can't go behind you because the enemy would kill you. Your only option is to get through the Red Sea. And what does God do? He miraculously opens the Red Sea. He creates a way where he didn't think there was a way. And I love that story because it is a picture of what God does for every single person. There's a time in our life when people feel like there is absolutely nowhere I can go. And that's when God always shines and he shows you there's a way where you thought there was no way and he gets you through any situation. And see, not only does God open up the Red Sea, but he dries the ground underneath so they can walk through the Red Sea. 
And it's a beautiful picture of what God does in our life and what he wants to do for, everyone, for every person. So you would think that the Israelites, they've gone through this miraculous release from Pharaoh. They get to the Red Sea. They're able to cross the Red Sea. Now imagine Lake Michigan just opening up and you can just walk across to Chicago. That doesn't just happen every day. So you would expect the Israelites would be the most uh, grateful people ever recorded in the history of the Bible. That they would be so in love with God for what he's done for them that they would worship him wholeheartedly. But that's not the case. Two months later, the Israelites are worshiping a golden calf. They forget to worship God and they start worshiping an idol. They actually create an idol to worship. You're like, how does that happen? How do you go from seeing God rescue you, seeing God deliver you, to you worshiping a golden calf? It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> a golden calf. It's an idol. It's a little. I should be used to this kid doing this. What we do all day at home. But those bunny ears are getting me. I don't know where those things came from. You never know what comes in that shopping cart at Target. Yeah. All right. You know, it's easy to look at the Old Testament and kind of think the Old Testament's pretty irrelevant. Kind of, it's kind of sometimes you read the Old Testament, you're like, how does this really apply to me? Because you read a lot of wars. You read about a lot of people who died. There's a lot of names that you really don't understand, and sometimes you're like, how does this even relate to me? And I think people struggle with that sometimes, the Old Testament, trying to find some relevance in it. But the truth is the Old Testament is much more relevant to our lives than we actually understand. I love this quote. That's good. I love this quote by John Stickle where he says, the Old Testament is full of, of physical pictures that reveal spiritual truths. See, the Old Testament's not irrelevant stories. Instead, there are stories to help us understand spiritual principles. Some of the stories of the Old Testament, like the Israelites escaping from Egypt, is a way to help us understand what it's like to, to go from bondage to go from freedom. See, for the Israelites, one day they live in complete bondage. They have absolutely no freedom. They don't have any ability to make a decision on their own. Any dreams or goals or ambitions that they had while they lived in Egypt, they weren't options. The Israelites had to do whatever the dictator told them to do. Their food was controlled by the dictator. Their work was controlled by the dictator. Their family was controlled by the dictator. They had no idea how to live. They had no idea who God truly was. And they had no idea what the good plans that God had for their life. Until, until God comes into the situation he comes into the situation and he defeats the most powerful person on earth that was against the Israelites. In a matter of days, God released the Israelites from captivity and set them on a whole new path. So how do you behave? How do you act after a lifetime of slavery? How do you behave? What do you, how do you think? What do you do? How do you do for your job? See, we look at the story of the Israelites and as I said, you would think there would be new devout followers of God Except the Israelites had a very, very big problem. They had no idea how to act and how to live in freedom. They were so used to living in captivity that they had no idea what it was like to live in the freedom that God has for them. They watched all of their enemies be defeated behind them. 
But the Israelites had no idea how to live in freedom. See, unfortunately for the Israelites, their captivity still influenced their thoughts and their emotions. The Israelites were far from experiencing any freedom. Even though they were out of Egypt, Egypt was still in them. God delivered them from their physical enemy, but their patterns of how they lived in Egypt still determined how they were living in freedom. And see, that's the truth, is that's what salvation feels like for many people. Many have been set free in Christ, but they never know how to live a life of freedom. They're so used to living in bondage that they don't know what it's like to live in freedom. And see, the last instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples was that we would make disciples. Basically, to make a disciple is to, how, is to teach a person how to live in the freedom that God has for them. And as a church, that is our number one goal and our number one priority. Part of the Great Commission is to make disciples. And as a church, we need to take that really seriously, that we need to raise up people. Not only, and how it works is not only do we disciple other people, but somebody needs to disciple us. See, the truth is every single one of us needs to live in more freedom. The truth is everyone needs to experience more freedom in their life. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like you're really not living an abundant life, like you don't feel like you're really living in freedom, reach out to somebody. Talk to me. Talk to my wife. Talk to one of our leaders in our church. Find somebody that can help you live and experience the freedom that God has for you. There's no reason why anyone should be living a defeated life because of all that Jesus has done for us. And I think that's probably... Probably a big goal that we should have in this church is to really figure out how to raise up people to disciple other people and how to create a network of people that want to disciple other people and help raise people up. Because the truth is, this is an awesome group of people. And there's a lot of people who've been through a lot of experiences and you've come out on the other side and now it's your opportunity to help somebody else get through a hard situation. So really pray about that. If you feel like, hey, I need somebody to pour into me, talk to me. Talk to one of our elders. Talk to one of our elders' wives. Talk to somebody. I want to see people living in freedom. I believe that you know, the Lord's speaking that for this church, to live in freedom. And we really need to experience that in a whole new way. And for some of you that are ready to disciple other people, talk to me too. I think we need to create a network of people who are ready and, and, and figure out a way to equip people better. Some of you want to be better equipped for, to disciple other people. That, that's one of the reasons we do Bible studies, is to help equip us to know how to reach out to the next generation. And you don't have to be the older people to disciple. Some of you younger people are all set to disciple other people. There's some of you young people in this church that God has really calling you to really reach out to the next generation. So as we talk about giving, I'm going to be talking financially about giving. But I think we need to take serious, too, the giving of our time and to equipping ourselves 
so we can disciple other people. To be prepared for harvest. To be prepared for what God would bring to this church and people that need somebody else to pour into them, to walk with them. Yeah, you keep agreeing with me, Lord. That spurs me on. There's some of you that are really set to really mentor. And I think I'm excited that we, we just need to pray for the people that would come into Lake Effect that would need somebody to mentor them and we can maybe even help facilitate. I don't, I'm just, I'm not good at just spinning off my head, but I'm just really on my heart this morning that we figure out a way to disciple and equip the next generation. And some of you young guys, um, God and young girls, God has really um, given you a gift and ability to mentor and disciple other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I'm looking at some of you young guys. I'm looking at all of you. But Tyler and Luke and Jake and Chelsea and Reagan. A lot of you younger, other younger people that are here, God is really going to raise you up. And I think what he's saying, get prepared. Get prepared for get prepared for young men and young women to come to you. that are going to need help. Yeah. Some of you young people, God is really going to use you in a powerful way. And I think sometimes it's easy to say, well, I'm too young. No, God's going to raise you up. and He's already even equipped you now. So I just encourage you to let God prepare you. I just want to pray for the, you know, I, I, I hate doing this like segregating, but some of these younger people, I just feel like God is just really just saying he's going to pour out a special gift on you people to mentor and equip young people. So let's, let's, let's pray for them. So how do I do this without... So... Can you young people just stand up? And, and I, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. I'm looking at you too. Yeah, Maddie, that's right. And you Bridge Street people, stand up. Some of you younger people, let's pray for them. Yeah, Paul. And yeah, Dylan and Faith, you stand up and you're still young too. She's still young. Yeah. Cameron, the, you know, some of you young people, I'm excited because don't think because you're young that you're, 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 you're too young. Cameron, can you stand up too? Trey, stand up too. I just think that we need to really be praying for this, uh, these younger people that God is going to use them in a powerful way to uh, reach out to some people that are very broken. Very broken. Where's Kayla? Did she leave? Riley, would you stand up too? There's Kayla. I just want to pray for some of these young people because um, just that the Lord would really 
give you a new confidence that you that he's equipping you. And maybe you're like, I don't have all the answers. That's all right. He's going to give you some more answers. He's going to pour out his Holy Spirit on you. And so let's pray for these young people. And let's uh, just, um, um, you want to pray? See anybody be over to let to pray? You want to pray? Yeah, you pray. Father, we do just thank you, Lord, that your spirit is hovering over us today in a unique way. Father, I thank you for these young people that you are raising up. Lord, I thank you that these are the ones who are going to be the disciple makers of the future. Amen. Father, I thank you that, that you are anointing and equipping these young people who are standing up today in a unique way to reach a unique generation. And Father, I thank you that it is through these ones here and others that you're bringing to us and others throughout this city, Lord, that this atmosphere is going to be changed. Because Father, these are the ones who have the energy. These are the ones who have the, the connections. Lord, these are the ones who are going to shine to this whole city and this whole generation, Lord. Father, I thank you for what you've already put in them. I thank you that in an early age they have a heart for you. And Lord, I pray that you would just bless that in a unique way. And Lord, we are looking for fire out of their Amen. bones, Lord, and for fire, and even to renew those of us who are older, for fire to begin to come out of our bones, Father. But I believe we are going to be led by the young in Amen. this endeavor. So Father, we thank you for that. And Lord, we bless them. And Lord, we ask that you would anoint each of them in a powerful way even today in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Ron to pray too, just to bless you young people. And Ron is an awesome uh, disciple maker, mentor, um, teacher, and God has really gifted him in a powerful way to reach people. And I just, I just want Ron to pray for you, know, you people as well. And I guess I would ask, too, you know, that you, those of you, and I see you all in here, um, if, you know, the, the mentors here, would you, you know, put a hand out towards, you know, these people. I see all of you, and, and pray, you know, pray with us, and, you know, God has a, has a role for everybody here, you know, this is not... Um, you know, this is, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, um, we ask that you just come now. And uh, would you now awaken in the hearts of, uh, of all of those that are standing, um, got a desire to go all in for you, desire to ch chase after you with, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And God, for those of, um, for those of us that, you know, you've you've put on our hearts too. You know, the desire to um, share uh, with what you've given us uh, with those that come. I pray, God, that you would you know raise up the mentors here too, uh, and to continue to pour into uh, those that uh, that you bring. And so, God, I just pray that you do a mighty work here uh, this morning. Would you birth a new? Uh, desire and um, in the hearts of all those here to just keep on going with you God you you're the one who who makes the uh, the life happen and you're the one who makes the the not only the uh, the passion 
to well up, but God, you provide the plan, and then you provide the perseverance. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, and so God, I pray that uh, you just uh, surround each person here now in Christ's name. That was good. All right, now we'll see where I'm back at. Back to the Israelites. So why did they worship the golden calf? Why did they? After God did all these huge miracles, why did they worship that golden calf two months after they saw God move with power? And the reason was is because they were more comfortable with doing what they did in captivity than doing what they could do in freedom. They were so used to the old way of life in captivity that they had no idea how to live in freedom. Remember when the Israelites got out of Egypt, one of the first things they said was, you know, this is too hard, let's go back. Sometimes people are just drawn to go back to the old way of doing things, even if they know it's destructive, even though if they know it's harmful, because it's familiar. And that's why it's so important that we raise up people to be mentors and to disciple makers to help a person live in the freedom that God has for them. It's so important. That's why I'm excited for just, I want to just sense the Holy Spirit even doing in here, of just equipping people, putting on people's hearts to be disciple makers and, and to be mentors and, and us older people encouraging the younger people to do it. And, and just what God is going to do here, that, that's, that's exciting for me. So the Israelites were so used to living in bondage, but they had another option. And the other option was to follow this God that they just knew a little bit about. They heard stories of this God from their grandfathers and grandparents, but they didn't know much about God. They heard a little bit about promises of God, but they didn't hear, they weren't sure if those were really true or not. But they had that opportunity to follow this God. And I'm sure there was some curiosity among the Israelites. So what does God do in response to the Israelites and their worshiping the golden calf? What he does to the Israelites is he gives them the Ten Commandments. And I think sometimes we look at the Ten Commandments like the Ten Burdens or the Ten uh, Hard Things that God is going to actually have us do. But instead, God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelite out of love and out of compassion. He gave them the Ten Commandments to say to them, this is how you live in freedom. You've been set free. You don't have to live like you're still in captivity. This is how you live in freedom. Every single rule, instruction, guideline in the Bible is designed to help us live in the freedom that we already have through Christ. And so God gives them, this, gives them these Ten Commandments. And I love how Kevin DeYoung says this in, the, in his book, The Ten Commandments. He said the t Ten Commandments are not instructions how to get out of Egypt. They're rules for free people to stay free. Do you notice God didn't give the Ten Commandments while they were in Egypt and say, okay, you follow these ten things. If you're good enough, then I'll get you out. He didn't say that. God said, I'm going to get you out of Egypt because I see your situation. I see the struggle that you have in your life. I see the problems that you have in your life. I'm going to lead you to freedom because I'm a God of love and compassion. And now that you're out of captivity, now that you are a free people, now this is how you can stay free. 
And it was the love and compassion of God to give us rules, to give us guidelines, to help us live in the freedom that he has for us. So what are these Ten Commandments? You know, let's, let's read through them. Exodus 20, many of us are really familiar with these, but let's read them again. All right. So God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the fourth, the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. This is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughter or your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. These are the Ten Commandments that God gave out of compassion to the Israelites saying, this is how you can live in freedom. But see, I find it very interesting. In these Ten Commandments, these top ten, there's no mention of money. There's no rule in there about giving. And I find it kind of interesting. Why didn't he mention in here about giving? Now you can go to Malachi and say, well, maybe this is close. Because in Malachi, it says, you shall not rob God, um, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and offerings? Because the Ten Commandments say, you know, you shall shall not steal. So you say, well, maybe this is related, but the the Ten Commandments never explicitly say anything about giving or anything about tithing. See, I think when you look at the Fourth Commandment on keeping the Sabbath rest, I think that's where you get some insight into giving. See, our American culture, we understand what it's like to take a day or two off a week. That's part of our culture. I know some of you maybe don't, but our culture kind of assumes you take, we work five, you take two days off. So we kind of have that in, in our culture. But for the Israelites, they had absolutely no idea what it meant to take a day off. For the Israelites in captivity, you worked seven days a week. You worked hard. Your work was cruel. Your work was, it, it was terrible. There was not one good thing about how the Israelites worked. In fact, Exodus describes their work as ruthless, as bitter, as hard, and cruel. And because of their misery and suffering, Exodus 6 verse 9 says that the Israelites were broken in spirit. It says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. This is a description of people who come out of captivity. This is a description of people who come out of bondage. Their spirit is broken. That's why they act. 
That's how they think. That's what motivates them. So when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, you kind of wonder if the people, when he read the Ten Commandments, thought, now how in the world is this going to work? How in the world do you expect me to keep those? Especially, how do you expect me to keep the Sabbath day? I am so used to working seven days a week, I have no idea what it would be like to take any time off. But see, notice the heart of God in the, tenth, in, in the fourth commandment. See, what God says, before God is going to require of you to give, to do any tithes, to do any offering, he's going to restore work to you. God's going to restore what the enemy took away from you. See, the enemy made work cruel and miserable for the Israelites. But see, what God wants to do is he wants to redeem work for people. He wants them to enjoy their job. He wants them to enjoy their work. And he says, I want you to take some time off it too. I want you to take some time off work to enjoy what really matters in life, to focus on what really matters to you. You don't have to work seven days a week, but you know what I'm going to do? You take that day off a week and I'm going to make up to you any loss that you experience from having to take a day off. That's a pretty good deal. God says to him, you know what? You're going to work less hours, but I'm going to continue to provide for you the same way I did before. And see, that's in compassion of God. He said to the Israelites, he said, you know, I want you to be able to take that break. See, that's God's plan for giving, is that he's always going to give better to you than what you could ever give to him. See, when we talk about giving, we talk a lot about, I'm going to skip those next two verses. We talk a lot about giving, we talk about tithing, and we talk about 10%. And this is where it gets a little uncomfortable for people is when you start bringing up 10% of your income and thinking, I, I, I don't know, how could I ever, how could I ever give up 10% of my income? And there's a lot of people who think, well, 10% is not a really a requirement. That was Old Testament principles. It's not two Testament. It's not a New Testament principle. And I, I don't plan to really address that here. I am a firm believer that 10% is a starting point. I think for some people, 10% is probably a goal because of the way your financial situation's at. But I'm not really here to focus today on should it be 10% or 20%. I'm here today to just focus on, I think, what God just wants us to do is give. I don't want to talk today about should it be exact 10% or what should the percentage be. I want that to be something that you take to the Lord. Because truthfully, I've never met a generous person who wonders if 10% is the right number or not. Usually what it is, you just start giving, then you see what God's going to do in your life. So that's where I just encourage you that, to, that the amount is not really what I want to focus on, but just the whole idea of giving. Because actually giving has really little to do with money. You might say that's kind of strange because it's giving money. You're asking for money, but it has very little to do with it. See, money is more about faith. It's much more about trusting God. See, if it was easy to give, I wouldn't be doing this message on giving. I'm having to do it because it, it can be hard to do. It can be a really hard decision to make that you are going to give some of your money away. So why, why is giving about faith? Because number one, when you give, giving says God can be trusted. See, oftentimes we don't give because we feel like, you know, I really can't afford to do it. And I know some of you probably, budget-wise, you might not be able to afford to do it, and I understand that. 
But see, giving says, you know what? I might not be able to afford it, but you know what? I'm going to trust God. If God's called me to do this, I'm just going to do it. See, the second thing giving does, it says God's going to provide. See, giving says, you know what? I don't feel like I can really afford it. I really don't feel like it's in my budget. I don't think it's probably a, financial, a good financial decision for me to do, but I'm going to give because I know that God is going to provide for me because he is faithful and he said he's going to provide for me, so he's going to do it. The third thing that giving is about faith is because it creates vulnerability. This is one of the hardest parts about giving because, see, so often we like to say, well, I'll give once I have enough in my savings account or I'll give once that car's paid off or I'm going to give once my income tax refund comes because if we give, what if I need that money back? What if I need new tires next week? So a lot of times we don't want to give because it's going to make us vulnerable. Because it'd be a little easier to have a bigger savings account. But see, one of the very best things that you can have an attitude of is vulnerability. That goes far in the Christian life, but it also goes very far. If you're vulnerable and it keeps you more dependent on God, that is the very best place that you could possibly be. So sometimes our own giving creates more of a dependence on God. And that's a good thing. And the fourth thing that giving does is it says obedience is better than stuff. Because sometimes you have to give instead of buying something that would be a comfort for you or that might add some value to you. And that's kind of a hard thing to do sometimes. I recognize that. So where do you start if you're not used to giving? If you're not used to donating or giving, where do you start and how do you start? I want us in closing to look at how Moses took an offering in Exodus, and I want to look how Paul talked about offerings in 2 Corinthians 9. See, it was interesting what Moses did. He gives the people the Ten Commandments in Exodus 34. In Exodus 35, he, repeat, he begins Exodus 35 by repeating the fourth commandment on taking the day off, and then he takes an offering. You kind of really don't expect that progression. He's going to remind the people, hey, you only can work six days a week. And then he takes an offering. And then what Moses does is he tells the people to go home. And the text tells us that all the people went home. They went to their tents. And then you read Exodus 35 where it says, All whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. That's how Moses took an offering. He told them about God's goodness in the fourth commandment. And he told them God's love for you that he wants you to take some time off and he wants you to enjoy life and enjoy your, your job. And then he says, go home. You pray about it. You think about it. You see what God puts on your heart because what you're going to give and what you're going to give is probably two different things. And I love what it did. It says that all whose hearts were, or spirits were moved and their hearts were willing. That's what God is looking for. Let God tell you how much to give. Don't let me tell you how much to give. Let your heart be moved and stirred by God. Maybe for some of you, starting at a dollar a week is a big sacrifice. I don't know. But start somewhere and see where the Lord's going to take you. 
And then in 2 Corinthians 9, I love this passage. I actually talked about this, I think, last year, but I want to read it again. This is Paul's instructions to the church at Corinthians. See, the church at Corinthians had promised that they were going to take an offering for the church in Jerusalem about a year before, but they never did it. They said they were going to do it, but they kind of forgot about it. So Paul writes them back and he says, So I thought it's necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift that you had promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. So Paul's saying to the church, Remember you're going to give the gift? Well, you forgot. So I'm going to send some of my friends that are going to come get the gift from you. But I don't want, it to be, I don't want, I don't want you to be surprised. And then he goes on, he says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written." He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. See, Paul is saying to the people, hey, you need to take an offering. I'm going to remind you of your gift, but I know it's a little... It can make you a little uncomfortable talking about giving. So he says, I don't want to take this, uh, this offering out of guilt. I'm not going to take it by promising you anything. I just want you to see what God's going to put on your heart. He tells the people to decide. And he tells the people, you know what, God wants you to give cheerfully. So don't give out of moaning or complaining, but give out cheerfully. And then the next words, he says, and God is able. The other translation says, God is able to provide all your needs. This translation says, God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able. See, that's what giving is all about. It's all about what God is able to do. So often we think giving is about what we are able to do, what we are able to give what we are able to sacrifice. But really, giving was designed to show us what God can do for us, what he is able to do. And what is God able to do? God is able to give you the faith to be able to give. God is able to give you the trust to know that he'll take care of your needs. He's able to give you the confidence that he'll supply anything that you're missing but also God's able to heal the broken heart. He's able to heal the broken spirit that sometimes prevents from giving. See, giving is more about your heart situation than it is about your checkbook situation. See, God always wants to heal the heart first. And that's what he said to the Israelites. I'm going to heal your heart, but I'm going to give you these Ten Commandments. So I'm just going to ask of you to just consider and to leave and to go home and to... Just take it up with the Lord. What would he put on your heart to give? Maybe this finances. Maybe, maybe some of you have never really given before and God will put it on your heart to uh, become regular givers. And like I said before, I, I don't have a big need that I am taking an offering for. But I believe that God wants to, some of you to be able to give more because he wants to show you more what he can do in your life.
And so I ask you to pray about that and ask God, what does he want you to do? You know, online giving is kind of easy right now. You can even set up on our website, and this sounds cheesy that I'm saying it, but it's, I, I'm doing it because I think it's good for some people to get into a habit. You can even do online giving and tell the, the program, you know, to do every week or every two weeks or every month. You can do, start as a dollar. And for some of you, maybe even starting at a dollar a week and just let the Lord continue to increase it. But I'm asking you not because of I need the money, because the Lord wants to show you what he can do in your life. So I'm going to ask you to pray about that. And as a worship team, I'm going to ask them to come and close us in one more song that we would just uh, go through this week, but not just about a financial situation, but also giving up our time and giving up our energy and giving up our, our resources to be better mentors.